Please turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18. Jeremiah, chapter 18. We will study verses 1 through 17. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom, that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now therefore say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return every one from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, That is in vain. We will follow our own plans. We will every one act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Ask among the nations, Who has heard the like of this? The virgin Israel has done a very horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Do the mountain waters run dry, the cold flowing streams? But my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They made them stumble in their ways in the ancient roads and to walk into side roads, not the highway, making their land a horror, a thing to be hissed at forever. Everyone who passes by it is horrified and shakes his head. Like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back, not my face, in the day of their calamity. And thus ends the reading of the very words of God. I was in third grade at Hess Elementary here in Chatham County in Savannah. Now this is Bryan County, but it's close enough. And we took an art field trip. We got in the, the bus and we go to this place for an art field trip and there was this lady teaching us how to make pottery. And she told us how to do it and everybody had a big lump of clay. And she said, you can make anything you want to make. And she starts showing us the different options that we can make. She showed us this water basin. She showed us a vase. She showed us this potted plant, this, this pot for a plant. You can make all these things and you had... When you were done, they would come back a week later and you could draw colors on them. And I said, what am I going to make? I wanted to make something that shows my love for my dad. I wanted to make him something that when he looked at it every single day, it was useful. And everyone else is making their, their water basins and their vases. And here I am making an ashtray. Because my dad smoked like a chimney. And I said, every day he's going to use this and he's going to think of me. And he did. He used that in his bedroom, of course, because people did that in the 80s. Every day. 
when he flicked his ashes, he thought of me <laughs> in this ashtray. <laughs> now, Jeremiah is going to a potter's house, and he sees this lump of clay. And God is going to use this as an illustration to show his freedom. I can do whatever I want to with this lump of clay. He can make it into whatever he chooses to make it into. And if you're taking notes, you're going to see three things. The first thing you're going to see is the potter's freedom. The second thing you'll see is the potter's warning. And the third thing you'll see is the clay's response. The potter's freedom, the potter's warning, and the clay's response. And as we look at the potter's freedom, look at verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my word. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. Now, some are going to argue, like Calvin and others, this is really speaking about the molds and not the wheel, but I want you to understand what Jeremiah saw when he went there. Some of you might have heard the man Thomas Edison or Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, folklore tells us, had a daughter who always left the dinner table hungry. Part of the reason she did this is because she was unwilling to get up and get the food. So... Thomas Jefferson created this little circular thing for Susan called a Lazy Susan, <laughs> where you could put your food in it, and it spun in a little tiny circle. And when Jeremiah went to the potter's house, this is how they worked the pottery. There was this basically like this pen, and it had a little wheel on it, and they spun it with their feet. It looked like a Lazy Susan. You could still go on YouTube and watch how they made these uh, that made this pottery, and as they spun it, they would, they would work it, they would have the water, and they'd keep working this. And to, they created something that they wanted to make. And here comes Jeremiah coming into this potter's house, and he's watching this potter work this clay. This would have been very, very common. They would have made bowls to eat with. They'd have even made utensils. They were making whatever they wanted to make. And in verse 4, as he's watching this potter work this clay, we see in the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. Oftentimes when you're working with the clay, there may be a crack in the clay. There may be some, some oxygen bubbles, some water bubbles. I'm sure there's a technical name for it, but they'll come to the top and they have to, have to get that out or they... They, they work in a search a way because oftentimes they're going to make something and maybe the clay didn't, wasn't right and, and it just kind of crumbles in on itself. And what the potter does when he sees that spoiled pottery or that spoiled clay, he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good for the potter to do. The potter made whatever he wanted to out of that clay. He had a design in mind. If you've ever watched a video, they, they, they hit the clay, they're, hit, they're, they're slapping the clay, they're, putting all, they're working this clay, and you know what? If they don't like the way it looks, you know what they do? They recreate into what they want to make it into. Why? Because they're the potter. They have every right to do whatever they want to with this clay. It is absolutely their choice. Now, as we think about the potter, I want you to think about the redundancy, the redundant statements that people make often. 
you probably say them often, like forever and ever. You know the ever is redundant if you're saying forever, right? Or what about blatantly obvious? Well, that's pretty redundant. Or the advanced warning. You know the word advanced isn't needed when you're giving someone a warning, right? Or what about unexpected surprise or end result? Uh, I mean, it's kind of redundant. You can give them the results. You don't need to say end result. And Christians, especially Presbyterians and Reformed Baptists, we like to say something redundant, very, very redundant often. We like to say, God is sovereign. Do you understand that the sovereign is redundant? You already said God. There's no need to say he is sovereign. Some of you probably grew up listening to R.C. We don't know him, but we call him R.C. I don't know why. He's Dr. Sproul. But he says that if God's not sovereign, God's not God. I can't get that out of my mind. God is completely sovereign. He's, he's God. It's in his name. He does whatever he chooses to do. He's in complete control. He can make this clay into whatever he wants to make it. And R.C. will tell a story. He can get people to finally understand that God is sovereign over the weather. Think about Ian, the hurricane. You may speak to someone and says, well, God's not sovereign. You can sit down in a scripture and the majority of people will finally get to the point where they go, okay, I see that. God is in charge of the hurricane. He's in charge of storms. And yes, that's difficult to swallow sometimes because people are hurt and injured, but we see that God is in complete control of those storms. And they'll still have dinner with you. But then you say, you know, God is also sovereign and in complete control over nations. Like your elected officials. And sometimes that's a big pill to swallow. So for both sides, technically, some people don't like one and some people don't like the other. But you can get them to see in Scripture that God is the one that appoints kings and leaders and appoints the government, though we may not like it sometimes. They'll still sit and have dinner with you and say, okay, you know what, I see it in Scripture. But let you tell them that God is completely sovereign over the salvation of souls. They won't eat with you anymore. They will run. It's as if they're okay with God being sovereign over everything except the soul of man. Some may even come to me and say, Travis, I think your translation is bad. I think this teaching that you have is absolutely new. That's why everyone's mad. Paul, as he picks up on Jeremiah, who's really picking up on Isaiah chapter 45, because everyone's reading each other, they, they affirm each other as prophets and apostles. Paul understands that people are going to get upset and not want to eat with you when you talk about this. That's why he writes in Romans 9.20, But who are you, man, to answer God? Well, what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me this way? You have no right. Remember, he's God. And some may say, well, what about Man's free will. Why is it always about the potter's free will? What about man's free will? I like to ask the question, what about God's free will? Does God not have free will? Does he not have free will to do whatsoever he wants to do? Here, 
Jeremiah is telling Judah, God is free to do whatsoever he wants to do. And remember, Jeremiah is preaching to a, a people with proud hearts, thinking that they deserved everything, thinking that they had the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We can't be touched. It doesn't matter. We're special people. Jeremiah is reminding you that your actions will not dictate to God what he will do with your nation. And that's still true to us. Your actions will not dictate to God what he can do. He is not bound by anything. He's the potter. You're the clay. He does what he wants to do. It's in his name. You don't need to say God is sovereign. His sovereign's redundant. It's not necessary. You already said he's God. He has the right to do whatever he wants to do. Which brings us to the second part of the sermon, the potter's warning. He loves us enough to teach us about his sovereignty, not to condemn us, but to save us. And you're going to see this in the text. You would think this would be the text that Jeremiah is preaching to show them you are going to be destroyed now. Now he does that in other chapters. We've seen that. But he uses the doctrine of God's sovereignty to warn people because he doesn't want them to perish. He wants their hearts to turn. Look at verse 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel. And this is almost like my mom used to yell at me, Travis William Peacock. Use my real name, right? Here, it's like, this is all Judah's real name. This is Judah's proper name, O house of Israel. Can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. He says, just like the clay can be worked, and in anything I want to work it into, just the, the potter has the right to do this. He goes, God says, I have the right to do what I want to with you. And I've given you covenant promises. If you do right, if you worship me, if you repent, if you turn your heart to me, I'll bless you. If you want to turn your heart away from me, well, then I will, I will curse you. Remember, we learned that this morning. We saw it in Romans 2, if you were at Sunday school class this morning. This Pharisee that lives in all of us. A lot like Judah, thinking that we deserve everything that we deserve. We deserve better. Judah thought they couldn't be touched. They thought they were special. And Jeremiah is warning them, listen, you have an opportunity here. You have an opportunity to repent and get your heart right. And look at verse 7. If at any time, God says, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. If at any time, because God is the potter and Jude is the clay, if at any time, even if I declare that I will destroy that, if at any time that clay repents, I'll save it. If at any time it comes back, I'll say that I have that right, God is saying. So what you see in this passage is that the deep things of God, God being the potter and where the clay is being used as a warning. Do you remember Jonah's 
famous sermon. Some of you can memorize it. I'm going to preach the entire sermon of Jonah in like one, maybe seven seconds. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. That was it. That was his entire sermon. He says, if you don't repent in 40 days, God's going to destroy Nineveh. He's a prophet of God. It has to come true. No, it doesn't. It was used as a warning. That was a warning to the people to turn their hearts to God. Jesus gives us these warnings. He tells us about the horrors of, of spending eternity in a, in, a, in, a, in a place called hell. He doesn't want you to go there. He gives you these warnings. Repent. Trust me. I've, I've taken your sins on Calvary. Trust me. Calvin says the meaning is this. That the way of pardon is always open. There's always an open door. God is wanting his people to turn back to him. Now kids, I want to share with you a story that's really important. It's really, really important. This guy named Michael Packard is, is 56 years old. And he's in Massachusetts in Cape Cod swimming a couple years ago. You can ask your parents about it. So he's swimming and he goes to the bottom of this, of this little ocean's big there, but he's going to the bottom of the ocean. It's only like 10, 15 feet deep and he's getting lobsters. Ask your parents to show you a lobster. You'll be like, oh, that's the most cool. I mean, it's a really cool looking fish. I don't know if it's technically a fish. Maybe it's a crustacean. But he takes these lobsters and he's putting them in this little sack and he keeps swimming and he gets swallowed by a humpback whale. A whale swallows him. Keeps him in there for a while and then spits him out. And do you know what the news reporter says? We can't believe that a whale could swallow a person and they lived. <laughs> and I feel like the writer of Hebrews. I, somewhere I've read that. <laughs> it really happened. The book of Jonah really happened. A whale, maybe a big fish, swallowed a man, spits him out, and he goes and preaches this sermon. And you have to understand the book of Jonah, I think, to understand what Jeremiah is trying to say. Because Je cause, cause Jonah, with his hard heart, says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. He's, he's preaching this sermon. The king hears this message. And the king makes a decree. And the king decrees that everyone... And the whole entire city is going to repent in sackcloth. And he says, not only the people, but the animals also need to wear sackcloth and repent. Now, I can think about Jonah and his hard heart, what he's saying. Animals can't repent. Animals can't repent. Animals don't have souls. And you can kind of see, you can just imagine, he's got a hardened heart, right? The king of Nineveh doesn't know theology. He didn't go to the prophet school. All he knows is the revelation of God says this, I believe the revelation, and even the animals are going to wear sackcloth and repent. And remember the last verse of Jonah in chapter 4, the most obscure verse you'll ever read in the Old Testament? It says, and should not, God says, and should not I have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell the right hand from the left, and also many animals. Done. I think, and 
and I may be wrong, and it's okay, but I imagine this. I think what God is telling Jonah, if it's hard in heart, I'll even take an animal if he repents. <laughs> now we know animals can't repent, they don't have souls, but you get the point. Same point Jeremiah is making here. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how much you've rebelled. It doesn't matter if you rebelled to your fullest. If you're still alive, and if you repent, and you trust in God's salvation and His means, He's going to take you back. That's the type of God we serve. That's the type of God that Jeremiah served. He knew it in his own heart, and he knew that if he preached this message, someone may hear and actually repent and come back to God. God was willing to accept the entire nation of Judah back if they would just have repented. And just like his promises are true, that if you repent, he'll take you back, look at verse 9. The reverse is true also. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I have intended to do to it. The same thing. If I make a piece of clay and it, and it, and it chooses to, to go off the rails, then, then I'll destroy it. I'll turn it into an ashtray. Why? Because I'm the potter. And I have a right to do whatever I want to do. The same reason if you're an ashtray and I turn you into a water basin that's beautiful, I have that right too. Either way. But at the end of the day, I'm the potter. You're the clay. This is the warning. Why? Because God wants your heart. He wants you to repent. He wants you to turn to Him. In verse 11, Now therefore... Say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Why? Return every one from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. See, the warnings cut both ways, don't they? See, they're going to happen and you're going to be destroyed or you're going to turn to me and have blessing. You see the cursing and the blessings all throughout the book of Jeremiah. You see the covenant promises. Jeremiah is using these deep things of God, hopefully to get the attention. God is using those to get the attention of these people to turn their hearts to him. And some will say, well, that's not fair. They lived an entire life of filthy, rotten sin. Well, guess what? You're not the potter. You don't have a right to say that. God can do whatever he wants to with the clay. And if he wants to take them back and save them, that's, that's his prerogative. We have no right to say anything. Which brings us to the third part of our sermon. We've seen the freedom of the potter. We've seen the warning of the potter. Now we're finally going to hear the response of the clay. The clay speaks back. Verse 12. But they say, that is in vain. Whew. You would have thought after hearing all this plea for them to change and for them to come back to the Lord and that God will take them back, that they would be repenting. Even the king of Nineveh, that pagan man, repented. No, not Judah. They didn't repent. They said that is in vain. 
We will follow our own plans and we will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Their heart was hard. Do you remember when I talked about God's free will? If you understand anything in Scripture, let me teach you the problem with, with humanity. is free will. That's always the problem. Adam, complete free will. Did you see what he did with this? You know what you do with your free will so often. And what God does is He changes us in spite of our free will. What He does is He changes us, He regenerates us, and gives us a different will. You have heard of these cage stage Calvinists. You've heard that before. If you, some of you are Presbyterians, so you don't know what it's like to be a former Baptist. But um, <laughs> you go through this cage stage where you're like, I see this in Scripture. Even to the point where you're saying, God will take people into heaven kicking and screaming. That is not true. And that is not the gospel. God does not drag anyone into heaven kicking and screaming. You go to heaven because you want to be there and you love Jesus. He changes your nature. He changes your heart. You want to be there. You wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Kind of like Sunday evening church, right? You're only here because you want to be here. God changes your nature and you want to be there. He's not making, kicking and screaming and dragging you. No, He changes your heart and you choose it with everything inside of you because you love Him and you want to be with Him. See, He changes your will, changes your nature. They had a bad heart. They didn't care. In verse 13, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Ask among the nations, Who has heard the like of this, the virgin Israel hath done a very horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Do the mountain waters run dry? The cold flowing streams? He's asking, who's ever heard nations leave their God? Jeremiah has said this before in the previous chapters. Have you ever heard of a nation leaving their God? Especially one like Judah who was given everything, who was so blessed. They were like the virgin Israel. They were like this little innocent person. And what they, they went off to prostitution? That just doesn't make sense. Why would they do that? Does the snow ever leave Lebanon? No, it stays in there and it flows down and there's always streams for them to what? Plant their food and to drink the water. This is unheard of, Jeremiah is saying. And you may say, how does Judah, who is given everything, end up being worse than their brother Israel in the northern territory. How does that happen? How does someone become an apostate? An apostate, we're going to get to that, I believe in two weeks, if I'm not mistaken, Pastor David, when you go through your Hebrew reading, we're going to get to Hebrews 6, and you're going to see what an apostate is. See, an apostate looks like a Christian, smells like a Christian, they tasted, they see, they've experienced it, but they never, ever truly experienced and consumed the bread. They might have tasted the bread, but they never consumed it. It was never deep down in their soul. They were never a believer, and you can't lose your salvation. They just never were a believer in the first place. They're apostates. They were members of the church. They looked like believers. And the next thing you know, I think the millennials have a word, was it deconstruction, or uh, I think that's the hipster term for it now, deconstructing my faith. The old school people in the Bible called it apostasy. And you see it throughout Scripture. 
and it's a real thing. And Judah had experienced this. How did they get there? Well, the road to apostasy is never a sinking ship, it's a leaky vessel. It's little, tiny compromises. Well, you know, he, Travis talked about that big fish that swallowed a whale. I know there's a real example, but seriously, a big fish swallowing a whale? Oh, and I really like science. Hmm. My nephew and I, we talked about a, a frog in the kettle. He didn't know what that meant. I was like, you don't know what that means? When you stick a frog into a boiling kettle, you know, it jumps out. But slowly but surely, if you turn the dial up, he'll relax and you eventually cook the frog. This is the road to apostasy. This is what happened with Judah. Small, small compromises. And the next thing you know, they couldn't get back in their heart. Verse 15, God says, My people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They made them stumble in their ways in the ancient roads and to walk in the side roads, not on the highway, making their land a horror, a thing to be hissed at forever. Everyone who passes by is terrified and shakes his head. Everyone knows that as long as you stay on the path, things won't grow on the path. You'll always have that path. Someone in the church, I'm not going to say their name, he and I showed him a hunting place I like to go to. Here's a stand you can go to. No one goes down that path. I haven't been down there in over a year, and it's grown up. It's hard to see now. You know, it used to be nothing. You could just walk right through. It's really high now. Why? Because no one's walking that path. This is kind of the story you're getting here, right? The, the, the old path, he's talked about the ancient past, the path that people walk on. If I could tell this to children, if we have the children in here again, there's a lot of different ice creams to choose from. Um, raspberry chocolate delight. The best, of course, is fish food. You have to ask your parents for that. Hopefully they'll let you experience fish food is the best. Red cherry's good. And of course, you go to Leopold's downtown. They, have, they call it Savannah Socialite. That's my favorite there. It's really, really good ice cream. There's a lot of fancy ice creams in the world. I mean, there's people, oh, look at all these different ice creams. But you know what the ancient paths are? Vanilla ice cream. Just plain old Jane vanilla ice cream. There's nothing flashy about vanilla ice cream. Let me tell you. Just plain Jane vanilla. <laughs> That's the ancient paths. You're not wanting to be over here. You're not wanting to be over here. You just want to be faithful. You just want to stay on the faithful path. You're not trying to be anything other than what God has called you to be. The way I like to say it, as, that, as Jesus says, strive to enter that narrow gate. He's talking about the door of the ark. He's using that as an illustration. And, and Danielle and I like to laugh. We're, we're, we're like slugs making it to the ark. Leave that door open, I'll be there, but I'm going to make it. I won't be fast, I won't be like the gazelles that make it first, but you better leave the door open. I'm making it. <laughs> the ancient paths. The road in which God has called us to be on. And the last verse, because of their hardened hearts, because they were unfaithful, like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back, not my face, in the day of their calamity. When Babylon comes and he starts destroying the city, they're going to cry out like Esau. Help me! And God's going to say, 
you don't care about the spiritual blessings, don't expect my help. Though you seek it with tears, you're not seeking it for the eternal promises. You just want my help for the here and now. You didn't want my blessings for the spiritual promises. You just wanted my blessings to protect you from the other nations. You don't care about the spiritual aspect of the promises. Don't think I will help you now. And God did it. And that's the sad reality of their hardened hearts. As we close, you might remember that ashtray that I made for my dad. I was so proud of that he used regularly in the bedroom and thought of me. Oh, that's my boy right there. He made that ashtray for me. When I was 16, it eventually got thrown away. So did the one he used in the living room. So did the one he used in the kitchen because he had open heart surgery because <laughs> that's what cigarettes do to you, right? They cause you to have open heart surgery and strokes. They're terrible for you when you smoke them regularly. Parents are going, finally, he says something negative about it for my kids was useless. Thrown away, I have no clue where it is. It's gone. And the reality is, is if you live your life like an ashtray, you'll also be thrown away. And I encourage you today, God is giving you the opportunity to be used as a vessel for honorable use. Paul says, God has the right to make one vessel a lump of clay for honorable use, another for dishonorable use. He has that right. And, and if I read Jeremiah properly, God has the complete sovereignty. I mean, he's God. He can do what he wants. But if you're still alive today, you have an opportunity. And we believe in the free offer of the gospel because we believe the Reformed faith. And you have the opportunity to trust in Christ and repent of your sin. You have an opportunity to do what God has called you to do and live rightly. And it'll take you back no matter what you've done. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of Christ. And I pray that we will learn that from Jeremiah. Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word.